Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We started looking at 1 Chronicles chapter 28 last week. This week we're going to talk about chapter 29. And next week, Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to look at the book of Haggai. Um, and so before I read the passage, I, I want to, uh, well, first of all, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's ask God for his, for his help and for his blessing. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you have purchased your church with the blood of your son, Jesus. We thank you that we belong to you that we are yours, that we are your body, the body of your son, Jesus. Thank you that your son, Jesus, is building the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be gathered together in your name, building one another up, encouraging one another up, loving one another, stirring one another to love and good works. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us, Lord, and we pray that you fill us with your spirit today to understand your word, that you speak to us by your spirit who inspired your word, that you transform our hearts, that you bring us closer to you by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit as well to speak the words that you want me to speak, Lord, and I pray that you build your church through this message. We thank you for your work for us, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you make any New Year resolutions? Maybe you did. Maybe you don't. Do you have any goals for this year? Maybe you, you know, I don't know if you guys do this, but in Mexico we, we do uh, 12 grapes and you know, you eat one for each month, I guess, and you you uh, make resolutions. Do you have any goals for this year? Do you have anything that you'd like to change? Anything that anything new that you would like to do? Generally, people make uh, New Year's resolutions to improve themselves, to be a, a better version of themselves, and I think that people want to improve themselves because ultimately, we want to be happy. Right? If you are a better version of yourself, you're probably going to feel happier. You're probably going to feel more accomplished, more fulfilled. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with seeking happiness. Ultimately, God created us to be happy, to be uh, to be glad to be full of joy, I think sometimes the problem of, you know, some people's New Year resolutions or sometimes our problem is that we think that by reading more books or by exercising more or by joining a gym or by going to bed earlier or waking up earlier or whatever, you know, whatever your resolutions are, we think that those things in and of themselves are what's going to bring us happiness. But 
when we look at the Word of God, when we look at the original design, how he created mankind, God created man to be satisfied only in him. God created mankind to be satisfied in God. As uh, our brothers uh, several years ago wrote it in the, uh, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As uh, our brother uh, John Piper has adapted it, he said, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying, enjoying him forever. So we are ultimately happy. We are ultimately joyful. We are ultimately the best version of ourselves when we are satisfied in God. Augustine wrestled with this concept all of his life, but towards the beginning of his life, he wrote to God. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So it doesn't matter how many resolutions you made. It doesn't matter how early you wake up. It doesn't matter how much work you work out. It doesn't matter how many books you read or whatever it is that you resolved to do. Your heart is going to be restless until your heart is resting in God. You will never be fully satisfied until you are enjoying God and glorifying Him. That's what we were created for. And so, uh, this ties into the, into the idea of building God's temple because um, in this passage, especially in chapter 29, we are going to learn that true joy, true happiness, real happiness comes from freely consecrating yourself to God. In other words, if you want to be truly happy, the, the, one of the best things you can do is to voluntarily, to freely offer yourself to God. And in this, in this uh, context, this offering of yourself is for the building of his temple, for the building up of his church. So let's read the passage, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of context on, on what we saw last week. But uh, I'm going to ask you to stand for reading God's Word. And I'm going to read uh, 1 Chronicles 29. And, uh, yes, 1 Chronicles 29. And David... The king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. 
And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted ahead above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. For we are strangers. We were strangers before you and sojourning. We, we are. As all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. And there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house. For your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And on the next day, offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs, with their drink offering and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. This is the word of God. You may be seated. 
Excuse me. Sam? Would you mind bringing me a cup of coffee? Thank you. So remember that the, the context of this passage is that uh, David is passing the baton to his, uh, to his son uh, Solomon. And David has already explained that he was the one who wanted to build the temple, but God told him not to build. He, he was not going to build the temple because he had shed blood with his hands. And so he promised that his son Solomon, whom he had chosen, was going to be the one to build the temple. And so David is calling the assembly, is calling all the leaders of Israel, and is explaining this to them. And then he gives Solomon a charge to serve the God of his father. This is in in chapter 28, verse 9. He says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And then uh, last week, we argued that Solomon... Last week, we argued that Solomon is a type of Christ. In other words, Solomon is someone, is, a, is a, a character in the history of the Bible that actually points us to Christ, who is the ultimate Solomon, who is the better Solomon. In what way does he point us to Christ? Well, remember the, the things that God says about Solomon. I have chosen him to be my son and... Uh, I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments. Well, we know that Solomon's kingdom, technically speaking, was, or not technically speaking, but literally speaking, was not necessarily continued forever because eventually he died. And before he died, he disobeyed God and the kingdom was split. But we know that through Jesus, God's kingdom is established forever. And we also argued last week that just as Solomon had the commission to build the temple for the Lord. Now Jesus is building the church. Jesus is, uh, he is the head of the church and the church is his body. And even though he is the one doing the work and he is the one building the church, we as the church have the responsibility of edifying the body of Christ, of building one another. And so in our passage today, we see an invitation to build the temple. David gives an invitation to the people to specifically give of their resources for the building of the temple. And so in the first section of our passage, verses 1 through 9, David essentially gives the assembly an invitation to give an offering to the Lord. More specifically, he invites them to consecrate themselves to the Lord and make an offering for the building of the temple. Now, he gives them several arguments, or, or he, he presents his case through several arguments. These, these are the arguments that he gives. The, the first one is, Solomon is young and inexperienced. Second argument he makes is, the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord. The next argument is, David himself has already provided for much of the materials. And then the last argument he makes before he calls the people to give is, David gave above and beyond, for he gave 
his of his own personal treasure because of his devotion to the house of my God. So after presenting them with these arguments, he then asks them, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today, today to the Lord? Now this sentence, if you think about it, it's a little bit awkward, right? Who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? It is even more awkward when you look at the at the literal translation of, of this sentence, if, if you see, if your Bible has a, a little footnote there, you'll notice that literally the, the sentence should say, who will offer willingly filling his hand today to the Lord? And this is, this is a, a, a difficult phrase to translate. Um, my, own, my own attempt is... Uh, who then will voluntarily hand a gift to the Lord today? Now, I don't want to get into, into all the minutiae because there's, there's really a lot, uh, a lot of background here, but I was investigating a little bit more about this phrase, right? What, what's the deal between, or what's, what's the relationship between consecrating and filling one's hand? And in, in what I was uh, looking, it seems like this phrase, the filling of one's hand, actually goes back to Egyptian hieroglyphics. And the, the hieroglyphic that was used for this phrase was basically an arm in this shape. And this was something that they would do in the worship of their deities, of their gods. They would, the, the priests, when, whenever they entered the temple, they would bring an offering to God on their hand, or to their God, not the real God, but to their gods, and they would bring an offering to their gods, and this was the way of consecrating themselves. Now, this phrase carried over, and this phrase is actually used multiple times in the Old Testament, and this phrase is one that Moses uses to talk about the consecration of the priests in the Old Testament, the sons of Aaron. And so, he, whenever he, he calls the priests to be consecrated to the Lord, this is the phrase that he uses. They will come and bring a filled hand to the Lord. And so, in this passage, David is basically inviting the people of Israel. He is inviting the assembly, the, the people that are gathered, to perform the duty of a priest, to act like priests. He is saying, you are consecrating yourselves to the Lord by bringing a gift with a filled Hand. And so we'll, we'll talk more on that, but the result of this, of David's invitation, is that they responded to it and they gave. It says that they freely gave their gifts to the Lord. It says, verse 6, then the, the leaders, sorry, yeah, the, leader, the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes the commanders of the thousands and of hundreds and of the offices, officers, leaders of the tribes. Sorry, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God. And then it lists all the things that they gave. So they responded to David's call to give, to consecrate themselves to the Lord. And then we see that the result is that then, verse 9, then the people rejoiced. Because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. 
David the king also rejoiced greatly. And so, like I said at the beginning, the main point that I want to communicate today is that if you want to truly rejoice, if you want to be truly happy, if you want to, ha- to make the best possible New Year's resolution, the best thing you can do is consecrate yourself to the Lord. Is offer not just, not just the filled hand to the Lord, but actually offer your entire self to the Lord. And in this context, to the building of His church. Dedicating your life to God is the best possible thing you can do. I'm not saying don't make any other New Year's resolutions. I'm saying your main resolution should be not just for this year, for for the next one and for the rest of your life. Your main resolution should be to offer yourself to the Lord, to serve the Lord with your whole heart. So from these arguments that David makes for the giving, uh, for giving for the temple, I would like to draw Uh, several applications from these. Now, this first one is not necessarily uh, an immediate application. I think I'm I'm stretching it a little bit, but I found it interesting that that David says that Solomon is young and inexperienced. And I can't help but think that Jordan and I, who are are, uh, elders at Kaleo, are young and inexperienced, right? I don't think we've... Eh, You're still young. You're a little older than me, but um, we've only been doing this for, what, less than five years, I think, right? So, you know, sometimes it's, I think of, of other leaders, right, that have been doing this uh, for 30 years. I mean, my dad just retired from, from pastoring a church for 30 years, and I know that there are other people out there who have experience. And like I said, it is a little bit, a little bit of a stretch here, but again, I found it interesting that Solomon is young and inexperienced. And so maybe not an immediate application, but a, a uh, I don't know, a, a, very, um, a very specific exhortation is that when we think of building the temple, one of the things that you can remember is that Jordan and I are young and inexperienced. We need your help. We need your experience. There are many of you that have more experience than us, that have more knowledge than us, and so we more than welcome that experience, that knowledge. We definitely need your help in building the temple. And ultimately, it is not our ultimate responsibility to build the church. Yes, we have been entrusted with the task of leading this church, but every believer has been entrusted with the mission of building up the body of Christ. And so it is all of our job to do this. Now, another, another application here from one of the arguments that David makes is that the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. And I think this is extremely important for us to understand and to remember that when we are building the church, the people of God, right? Every time I, I talk about the church, I'm referring to the people of God. Whenever we are building the church, we need to remember that we are not doing this for men. We're doing it for God. We are building the church for God's sake. And therefore, this should cause us to be cautious, 
to be careful in how we do it. We talked about that last week, right? You have to be careful about what materials you use for building the Church of Christ. We have to be, uh, uh, we have to watch ourselves, watch our doctrine, watch our teaching, watch everything that we do, watch our attitudes. Make sure that we are building the temple with the right attitude because this is for God. It is not for men. And this also means that when we build the church, when we do church, we don't do it to please man. We don't choose our songs so that we will have more attendance because we have the best songs out there. We don't choose the themes that we're going to preach on so that more people will come because they will feel comfortable with what we're saying. No, our goal is not to please man. Our goal is to please God. And so we try to choose the songs that we think that, that uh, speak truth about God. We choose the songs that we believe are glorifying to God. We preach from God's Word. The passages that are easy to listen, the passages that make you feel good, and the passages that are difficult. The passages that make you a little bit or a lot uncomfortable. Because ultimately we realize, we recognize that this work is not for man. It's for God. Now, of course, it has benefit to us. Of course, it is, it, it, of course, it blesses us, right? When we sing those songs, when we hear from God's word, when the temple is built, we are being built. But what we need to recognize is that we don't do this ultimately for our sake. We do it for God's sake. We do it for his glory. This is for him. The church is the temple of the living God. It is not our temple. It is the temple of God. Another lesson that we learned from, from, this, from David's arguments, just as David set an example of generosity and devotion to God, those who are mature, the leaders of the church should set an example of generosity and devotion to God. Notice that David, before asking the people to give, he set an example and he told them what he had, what he had already given. He told them the things that he had already prepared for the building of the temple. And on top of that, he says, and not just that, not just the regular things that I had already set in place, but my devotion to the Lord is such that I even gave my personal treasury for the building of the temple. Now, I don't believe that, I, I don't think that the context right now is appropriate for me to go on and list all the things that I personally have done for the Lord. Um, or, you know, or for Jordan, maybe I'm, I'm going to call Jordan and be like, all right, Jordan, tell us everything that, you've, that you're doing for the Lord. Um, However, we do want to be transparent. We do want to be as transparent as possible. And so uh, we are open to anyone coming to us and ask us, hey, can you, you know, just not, not just out of curiosity, but because I want to learn, because I want to grow, can you give me some examples of how you are serving the Lord, of how you are giving to the Lord, of how you are offering yourself to the Lord? We want to set an example of sacrificing ourselves for the building 
of God's church. And we also acknowledge that we don't do this perfectly. We acknowledge that there is so much more that we could sacrifice for the Lord, that we could do so much better, that sometimes we have a clear calling from God, but a lot of the times we fall short of it. And we go and serve ourselves instead of fully giving everything to the Lord, devoting ourselves to the Lord. But it is our desire to lead by example. I don't think it, it would be... I don't think it would be fair for us to say, you have to give your, your regular tithes for the Lord if we ourselves don't do it. I don't think it would be fair for us to say, you have to show up to the, all of these meetings if we ourself, ourselves don't do it. I don't think it would be fair for us to say, you have to visit those people who are sick or visit the people who are in need if we don't do it. It wouldn't be fair for us to say, you have to disciple others if we ourselves are not doing it. So I guess this is more of a, of a, of a lesson for us, for the leaders. In, in, but again, not just for us, but for any believer who is a mature believer and wants to set an example of giving oneself to the Lord. Now, I talked about consecrating yourself to the Lord, generously giving Him what is ultimately, sorry, generously giving to Him is what will ultimately bring true happiness. This is the result here in this passage, right? When once the people accept the calling and they give to the Lord, it says that they rejoice. It says, then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offering as did, oh, sorry, uh, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. And I want to emphasize this point. Do you want to be truly happy? Do you want to be fulfilled? Do you want to be satisfied? The best possible thing that you can do is consecrate yourself to God. Is give yourself to God. It's to bring God not just a filled hand, but your full body, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Now, this passage is clearly calling people to give of their financial resources, right? This passage, in this passage, David is calling them to make wealth offerings. But of course, we know that God's church is not built with money, right? Money is a resource that God gives us. Money is a resource that helps fund some of our ministries, but we know that ultimately the church is not built with money. So while I believe that it is an important application to, to exhort people and say, make sure that you are giving God, make sure that you are honoring God with your financial resources, if I stopped there, I think this, this, this sermon would be, would be flat, would fall flat. Because then you can, you can say, well, I'm giving, I'm giving of my money, and therefore I'm going to feel good about myself. Right? It's kind of like uh, the, the widow who gives the two mites. 
Well, the Pharisees, they were feeling good about themselves because they were giving so much money, right? They were doing their duty. They were bringing so much money. And, and I bet that they, you know, like dropped the coins really high and, and, and the coin made a lot of noise. But then you have the widow that gave two coins. And so it was not about the quantity. It was not even about giving money. By giving the two coins, the widow was showing that she was giving her livelihood. She was giving everything that she had. She was offering herself to God. And so in the same way, while I believe that the Bible has called believers to honor God with their finances. I believe that the Bible, that God has called us to honor him, not just with our, our finances, but with everything. With all of ourselves. With our money, with our time, with our resources, with our energy, with our strength. So the best possible resolution you can make this year is to consecrate your whole self to the Lord. Now, in the next section, David prays a prayer. And, and from this prayer, we learn perhaps one of the most important principles of giving to the Lord. And this principle is that everything belongs to God. So he goes on in prayers, right? And he talks about how uh, it, it, the power and the glory are God's and the whole universe is His and the kingdom is His. Riches, honor, strength, you name it, whatever you can imagine, it belongs to God. Everything comes from Him. Everything that you have comes from Him. Finances comes from Him. Strength comes from Him. Intelligence, it comes from Him. Everything that we have belongs to God and he has given it to us as a gift. So David asks the obvious question. Well, he asks a couple of obvious questions. He says, who are we to give something to God? And doesn't God own all things already? Why are we giving to God? Isn't everything already his? And he responds to that question and he says, God is pleased. Well, it says, um, in verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. So we give to God not because he needs anything from us. After all, everything is his. We give to God because he looks into our hearts. He knows our attitude. That's why the Pharisees were in such, a, in such bad shape because they, they thought that just by the outward giving of their money, God was pleased with them. But God saw their hearts. God saw their attitudes. And God knows our hearts and our attitudes. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want our time, our resources. He wants to see an upright heart. From us. Or, or let me rephrase that. It's, he does not need our money, our time, our resources. Rather, he wants to see that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves 
for him. He is pleased in an upright heart. If you remember the uh, the book of Revelation, in in one of the passages that we read at the end of our uh, of our gathering, it says that Jesus made us a kingdom, priests to God, to His God and Father. And so, just as David here is calling the people to act as priests in bringing something to God, we as believers, we as people who have been redeemed. We, as people who have been made priests, it is our duty, it is our priestly duty to offer ourselves to God. Now, unlike the Egyptians, unlike the other cultures surrounding the people of Israel, and unlike religions today, the big, big difference between those religions and us is that we are called to give of ourselves to a God that already gave himself for us. Whereas those religions, they were called to give to God or to their gods so that they could be accepted before God. The gospel tells us that God has already provided that offering in his son, Jesus. The gospel teaches us that Jesus, who is the the ultimate high priest, the eternal high priest, he has already brought the perfect offering to God, which was his life. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He was the one that brought this extended, filled hand with everything that was needed for our salvation with everything that was needed for our acceptance and therefore we belong to him and this means that when we come and bring something to god we don't do it so that he accepts us we don't do it to gain our salvation we do it because we understand that Everything we have, including ourselves, our full selves, belong to him because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus. And when we truly understand that we belong to him, that we are completely his, then the only thing we're going to be able to do is to give our full selves to him. Do you struggle to give all of yourself to God? Well, then maybe you haven't really understood that you already belong to him. Just like David was asking and saying, who are we to give you these things? These things are already yours. In the same way we can ask and say, who are we to give you ourselves? We are already yours. But it is because of his mercy, because of his love for us, that we are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And this is what ultimately brings us fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy. To serve and to sacrifice ourselves for the God who served us and sacrificed himself for us.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving your son Jesus. We thank you that he is the ultimate high priest. And he offered himself for us. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And we thank you that because of his work on the cross, we are accepted. We belong to you. Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts to sacrifice everything for you, to give you our lives. And to know that that is what's ultimately going to bring us true happiness, true joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.